This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. A personal plea, saving the economy, and why a bailout is economic suicide. Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent and you stay for the principles. And today's a show which, quite honestly, has changed a lot on in the last week. I talked to you last week saying this week's going to be a special show because I need to talk to you a lot about economics. And I'm going to do that because things happened in your country this week that, quite honestly, are going to kill your nation. If you're a long-term listener, you know I'm not someone to, you know, do hyperbole, to, you know, get all the drama and intensify things and go, oh, this is dramatic. I think my track record of being very calm and level-headed and reasoned is pretty much there for everyone to see, unless you want to just hate me. But I want to talk to you about what's going on in your country, but first, I want to talk to you about my future, because I want to have a heart-to-heart with you. Because quite honestly, right now, I need your help. I need your help because... Honestly, I haven't got a clue what my job is anymore. I don't make this show about me because I don't talk to you about my personal life. as Well, I have in the past, but not a lot. I don't talk to you about, hey, this is what I think or this is, this is my problems. Because I appreciate we only have a short time together each, each and every week. And I also realize you guys have your own problems. You guys and you girls and ever how you identify today, y'all have your own problems. You don't need to come onto a podcast and listen to some Irish guy moan and complain about his life. So I try and make this show talking about principles. But I just want to talk to you just from the heart for a few minutes. And yes, it's going to be about me. Because I don't believe I'm the only person experiencing this. And we need to address the elephant in the room and see can we help each other chart a new way forward. I don't know how to do my job. And that's saying, making a statement saying that I actually ever did. But I always thought I knew my role. I don't anymore. And I want to explain why I feel this way. You see, 
And this is not me self-deprecating or me saying, oh, poor me. This is me being honestly, dead honest with you. I am not the smartest guy out there. You know, you know, there's people I have met in colleges, on your college campuses, that are just so smart. They're intelligent. There are people who are better looking, people who are funnier, people who are more personable, people who have better accents, who can talk better, who can give better speeches and presentations than me. But what I do have is an understanding of what is precious in this world. And the reason I have that understanding is not because I am somehow great or awesome or I have some hidden talent. It's not. It's because of my environment, because of my upbringing. You know, if you were to paint a picture of what I'm trying to say right now, it would be a black canvas. That was what my life was like. I was that annoying kid that, you know, would look around and go, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand our worlds. You know the feeling many of you are having right now? Where you're looking around and you're just going, what the hell is going on? That was me my whole life. I was like, this, this isn't right. And the more people would try and explain the way things were, was the more in my soul I went, that doesn't make sense. I'm sorry, I, maybe I'm just inherently thick. But I, that doesn't make sense to me. In fact, what you're telling me makes me even more screwed up. It makes less sense now than when I started talking to you. And I saw all these arguments about how we should live, about how we should grow up, about how we live, about how things just are this way, that you can't change them. And something in my soul said, no, this is not right. And then because of my curiosity of looking around for answers, I found the answers. And this is not, again, because people are rather tense about how I say things this week, which we'll get to later on in the show. This is not me saying, oh, I'm just so smart and y'all just need to listen to me. Don't listen to me. This is not about me. This is about the understanding that while my life was that black canvas of just pure black there was a little light that just went off. And that light wasn't me. That light isn't how great I am or I just woke up one morning going, you know what? I'm smarter than Stephen Hawking. I'm just like, oh my God, uber talented. I'm just awesome. No, that light was the founding principles of America. For the first time, I saw things And I saw the problems our world faced. I saw the problems America faced. I saw the problems Irish people faced. I saw the problems English people faced, Australian people faced, European people faced. People in Africa faced. Whether you're black or white, gay or straight. Whether you're man, woman or something else. Or of the 102 or 3 or ever how many genders there are when you're listening to this show. The problems are all the same. But the answers are the same. The answers are the idea of individual liberty, the idea of God-given rights. That light switch went off in me. That light switch went off. And what's amazing is that I don't know whether people could ever analyze my brain. But in my brain, if you could hear the voices in my head, you would be shocked. 
you should hear the stuff I say about myself. The things I say that I about myself are so bad that I honestly laugh when people say, oh, John, you've got an ego. Oh, John, you think you're just so smarter than everyone else. I laugh inside because my brain is going, wow, you got those boys filled, huh? Because you're as dumb as a box of rocks. I have no confidence in me, in my abilities. I have no confidence in me at all. But I do have confidence in two things. I have confidence and absolute faith that there are two things I know that are absolutely true. If I may use a word, they are gospel. And those two things are, there is a God. Now, we may argue over whose God it is, whether it's God, whether it's Allah, whether it's Buddha, but there is a God. There is a creator. And he is our heavenly father. And the second thing I am absolutely sure about is that deep down, man, whether you're a man or a woman or a child, whether you're gay or straight, deep down, man is fundamentally meant to be free. That man is not meant to be chained. That man is not meant to be coerced or forced to act a certain way. That man has free choice. And sometimes, because man is inherently flawed, man will screw it up. But just because we screw things up does not mean we belong in chains. Whether it's a chains to a slave owner, whether it's chains to a government, whether it is chains to a political party, whether it is chains to debt. Man is meant to be free. These are the core principles your nation is founded upon. I have always been the outsider. I am the outsider in my family. I am the outsider in people I hang around with. Even though that's a very, very select few because I don't go out. I am the outsider of outsiders. But there was a period of my life where I felt like I belonged. I always felt at home in America. I always felt like I belonged there. And there was a brief moment in my life where I finally thought people got us. And that was the Tea Party movement. I always saw myself, and maybe this was me just being wrong or stupid, or I have no idea. But if I may use an analogy, I always saw myself as the cheerleader and spectator at a baseball game. You don't need me as a baseball player. I suck. You don't want me to be the person, you know, talking to you about your technique. I'm not the person to teach you how to throw a slider or a fastball or a breaking ball or curveball. I sure as hell ain't the person to teach you about hand-eye coordination and hitting the ball 400 feet. I'm not that person. If you if you've ever seen a picture of me, I'm also clearly not the strength and conditioning guy. Well, maybe strength because I am strong. But I ain't the guy, you know, you, you know, you want to learn your diet and your fitness off of me. No, that's not my job. I always saw my role as the spectator in the crowd going, come on, you can do this. You can do this. You got this. You can overcome this. You can hit the ball out of the field. You can lock down that save. You can get that W. You can do this. 
I always saw that as my role. Because quite honestly, America doesn't need an Irishman to save you. It doesn't need an Irishman to tell you how to live. But during the Tea Party and during those Obama years, I felt belong to the Tea Party. Because for the first time in my life, I saw a group who were outspoken as I was, who were as passionate, if not more so, than I was. But we had those core beliefs that the Constitution was critical. That your founders were smart men, not because they're somehow better than you, but because they reached around and read about history. They read about Greece. They read about ancient Rome. They read about the monarchies. And they said, why do all these suck? And what can we do to put in their place to ensure we don't follow that same tyrannical path they did? And they instituted, and it took a long time. It took 11 years to get your, from your Declaration of Independence to your Constitution, and a further four years to get from your Constitution to your Bill of Rights. They just didn't wake up. There was a lot of debate, a lot of thought that went into those. Those principles of Article 1, Article 2, Article 3, federalism, limited government. Power is at the bottom, not at the top. This understanding of free markets, of free markets that you're not allowed to coerce people to buy something from a certain place, from a certain country, that people are inherently free to purchase ever how they want to purchase. I had this understanding that during the Tea Party movement, that people understood that taxation is not a good thing and that where there is taxes, they should be extremely limited and low. Why? Because the idea of America is built around the idea that you have a God-given right to pursue your happiness and keep the fruits of your labor. It was so exciting during that Tea Party movement to see people like Herman Cain talk about a 999 plan or a flat tax or a fair tax. But we also understood during that moment and what made the Tea Party so unique was it was not inspired by Democrats. It was not inspired by the left. It was inspired by the actions of the right because they went so far and so egregiously bad. The Tea Party was started by a certain guy named Rick having a rant on the stock exchange of Chicago with bailouts done by George W. Bush. I finally understood that there were people out there who got us who understood all these principles the way I understand them and the way I understand how they are the solution. But now here we are in 2020. Does anyone care about the Constitution? Honest question. And I don't mean the people go, oh, I love the Constitution. The Constitution is great. No, I mean actually care about it and are outraged and upset when it's left or right violating us. I don't see many constitutional rallies anymore about Article 2 power. I don't see many constitutional arguments and rallies about Article 1 power, about federalism, about leaving it up to the states. I don't see any rallies about the free market. I don't see any rallies talking or discussions online based around, you know, hey, let's have a debate around the flat tax or the fair tax. 
And now fast forward to this week. Not only have I not seen them, I've seen people make excuses for violating the Constitution. I've seen people make the argument that, you know what, free markets is, is great in theory. But you know what, here's what we need. We need tariffs and bailouts right now. I've seen people, you know, talk about historic tax cut as 2, 3, 4%. 999 plans out the window. Flat tax, fair tax, not discussed. And then this week. This week... Your country, which we're going to talk about, is proposing a bailout of $6 trillion. $6 trillion. And people are, well, that has to be done. This is what has to be done. This is unprecedented. I don't know how to do my job anymore. I honestly have not got a clue. It's clear me cheerleading for principles isn't going to do it anymore. Because I can only cheerlead if there are people out there sharing the message. Sharing the message on the ground where I can cheerlead with this microphone each and every week. The sad thing is, and this is where I don't know if this is true or not, but it feels this way right now. That many of your people in your country who are the most outspoken don't either know or don't think your founding principles can win. I think they're wrong. I know they're wrong. The reason I know they're wrong is not because I am some type of genius, but because I know what your founding fathers went through. What I need from you is how can I help you? What can I do to help you? What messages can I bring you? What issues can I break down so that you can take those principles, those arguments, and then start sharing them on the ground? Because here's what I will say to you. I know there are many people who are tired right now. I know there are many people who listen who are frustrated, who are just so fed up of the social media games where if you dare have a difference of opinion, you're the enemy. I get it. I get it. I'm as tired and as fed up and as weak as you are. But if we give up now, the idea of freedom is dead. The idea of freedom is over. How do we rise up in peaceful, loving terms and make the case for freedom? Make the case for the Constitution. Understand that there were reasons that your founders put every word in that document. How do we make that case? How can I help you? How can I help you from 6,000 miles from your east coast? Because freedom cannot die. Freedom cannot and must not die. Because if it does, and yes, I'm going to get biblical on you. If it does, God will not look fondly down on us. There were instances in the past where freedom died and you could make the argument, well, we didn't really know. We didn't really know what was going on in Nazi Germany as the trains of Jewish people were going to those concentration camps. Look, there was no social media. There was no viral videos. We didn't know what was going on. Yeah, we heard a bit about it, but we didn't know. We didn't think it was that bad. There is no excuses anymore. Ignorance is no longer an excuse. You have more power in your phone than President Clinton had access to when he was President of the United States, i.e. the most powerful man in the world. 
Ignorance is no longer an excuse. Please get in touch with me and let me know how I can help you. If you want to get in touch i'm on social media twitter freedom disciple facebook america's favorite irishman get in touch drop me a message drop me a friend request i'd love to hear from you guys i want to talk to you today for the rest of this show about economics and if you are like i don't want to talk about economics i'm going to switch john off i would ask you not to because what is going on right now is incredibly important for each and every one to understand but what I want to do is I want to break down economics. And I know I'm, I do know I need to do a better job of this for you. Because one of my frustrations about economics is there is this myth wrapped around us. And this myth is, oh, you need to be so smart to understand economics. You have to be smarty pants. Because you look around and you talk about people in the media and they use all these big words. Rehypothecation. We'll talk about that maybe on another show. But you see all these big, powerful words, and I think they do this by design to make people go, I, I can't, no, rehypothecation. I don't want to know what that is. No, 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 no. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to zone out. And they make it as complex as they can because they want to build up this myth that says only the sm uber smart people can dare have a conversation about economics. When you boil down to it, economics is one of the most simplest subjects to understand. And I don't mean that is, hey, I'm so smart and it's so simple. No, I mean it really is. Because the truth of the matter is, each and every one of you practices economics several, several times a day. You just don't think about it. It's just become habit. You're participating in an economic system when you work. You, you're participating in an economic system when you buy stuff. Whether that's buying gas, whether that's, you know, going to the shops to buy groceries, whether that's, you know, going to the, to the shops to buy a new, you know, sexy dress because, you know, I'm bringing my husband out at the weekend or whatever it is. You know, it's whatever it is, you know, ladies getting your hair colored, you know, me getting my head shaved. You know, we all participate in economics. We just don't know about it. So I want to talk to you today about what's going on. Because what you're seeing around the world, you see this in America, you've seen this in Ireland, you've seen this in England, is politicians are now talking about bailouts and all these huge sums of money because we need to save our economy. We need to save our economy. You're seeing everyone say this. Now, I'm not going to ask you to bear with me because I'm going to talk to you about economics, but also I don't want you to freak out when I say what I'm going to say. Because I'm going to give you the solutions. Or I'm going to give you some of them. The truth of the matter is, we live in a world where there is no incentive to do what I did last week. There is absolutely no incentive to be open and honest and say, I don't know. But there's also no incentive for anyone to go, you know what? We can't do this. There is problems we can't fix. This is happens when you make politicians gods. And that is what has happened in your country right now. I don't want to get political, but a lot of people see Donald Trump as the second coming of Jesus or Jesus anointed him personally. The same way I heard this from my friends on the left about Barack Obama. 
You read if you read the myths and the lines about Barack Obama, this guy was you know he's going ri- to stop the rise of the oceans. He he was going to you know bring around world peace. When you make politicians gods, and you make pearl everything about politics, no one's going to say I can't I can't fix this. There's laws of physics. There's laws of gravity. There's laws of economics. They don't change regardless of who, you know, the laws of politics and economics don't go, well, who's in charge? Oh, it's the Republicans. Oh, well, it's this laws. If it's, oh, it's the Democrats, it's these laws. No, they're the same for either party. They're the same regardless of what country you were in. The laws don't change. Right now, whether you like it or not, with this COVID-19, with this coronavirus, and with the decision to shut down governments, there is no saving the economy there is no bailing the economy out and i'm going to prove it to you i want you to sit wherever you're sitting right now or standing and just look around the room you're in and just think about all the jobs it took to make your room a a reality what i'm going to do is i'm going to use my room as an example where i'm recording this show just to think about it And what I would do is, as I'm talking to you about what's in my room, look around what's in your room and think about the economics. And then ask yourself, how could you possibly save this by bailouts? So the first thing, obviously, is I have a computer where I am in my office. I have a computer with a screen with a microphone. Microphone stand. All the jobs that it took to make that computer a possibility. All the microchips, all the wires all the the rubber around the wires, the sockets, the glass to make the computer screen, the wires to connect the computer screen, all the circuits it took to fuse so that the computer can talk to the screen and show me exactly what to display, the wires between and the circuits between this microphone and the PC so that when I'm talking into the microphone, it saves it, it saves my voice, and then it allows it to be stored so then I can upload it to a cloud so then my Blaze producers can put it all together. Around my office, there are many pictures, picture frames. There are pictures, digital printed pictures. There are, there are pieces of metal that are around the case of them. There's the glass inside them. There's many flags in my office. There's a U.S. Navy flag in my office. There's a appeal to heaven flag. There's a don't tread on me flag. All the prints, all the fabrics it took to bring those to be to be a possibility so I can buy them. There's whiteboards in my office. There's a metal casing around the whiteboard. There's markers. There's the whiteboard surface that, you know, you can write on. There's a wooden desk that everything is propped on. Beside my desk, there's I have my cell phone for work, which is incredible. It has so much power in it. I can get on the internet. I can go on Spotify, go on whatever. I have a tablet for work. It allows me to access the internet to do all my work. It has a cover to protect it in case, you know, as someone like, you know, not going to name names, but John happens to let his tablet fall every so often. You know, if it falls on the floor, the screen doesn't smash. There's rulers. There's pens. There's paper. There's batteries. There's an iPod. There's a file system where it's all plastic, filled with papers, with notes, with ideas for this show. There's a light which allows light. There's a bulb inside the light socket. I think you're starting to see a point. It's the same in your room. 
Think of all the jobs it took to make that happen. Whether you like it or not, whether you think it's a good thing or not, the undisputable fact is there is no way to protect an economy when you shut everything down because everything is so intertwined. Just think of that computer. The computer is the easiest one to think of. You know, it's not like a computer just comes, hey, this is a computer, this is one unit. There are so many different pieces and parts of technology that is in a computer. All the people who are in, you know, work to manufacture their little parts, even down to the case that's on the, the, the desktop, that has to be molded, that has to be fabricated, that has to be shaped to exact perimeters so that it can fit everything inside. And then it can also be totally uniform. You can't, you know, imagine you had a computer which, you know, was lopsided. And people, you know, there was, it didn't, you know, the fabricated metal, you know, went up a bit too far and you couldn't lock it down. Would you buy it? No, it has to look perfect. It has to be nice and smooth and flat. My desktop, because it's a Dell, has Dell inscribed in the, in the, the fabrication. That took work to do. All then, all the pieces and parts the technology, the glass for the screen. These all happened because a load of individuals came together willingly and under freedom to create their little part, to create that screen. That screen, you take the screen from my PC, it's just a piece of glass. Just a piece of glass that's 20 inches wide. That's all it is. But it plays a key part in that computer to protect the screen. The same way people who create a plug. You know, I love all these people who just look down on other people, kind of going, oh, well, it's all millionaires and billionaires. People create things for rich people and poor people, voluntarily, for a profit. You just think of the plug. You don't, if you don't have a plug, you can't have, you don't have access to power. Your PC could be the best, most brilliant, most, most powerful PC in the world. If you don't have a plug on the end of the wire, on the end of the socket to plug into the wall, guess what? It ain't brilliant. It's crap. It's useless. It's pointless. But many people would think of a plug. Look at all the work that went into that to fabricate the plastic. The plastic and the rubber that's inside it. To fabricate the fuse, to make the fuse so it actually works together to power. Think of all the wires inside, the earth wire. All those different things that are inside to make that plug possible. Now, as you're starting to see how vast our economy is, and this is the same whether you're in Ireland, England, or around the world, doesn't matter what country you're listening in. This is the truth about our economy. We all come together to make our little part of the puzzle, to make our little part of the production line, and it seems irrelevant. It seems, you know, not important, but it's critical to make everything work around. But then also you have the jobs created because of that. The job's created because of that, because people are now out. You know, that person who's making that little plug. All the jobs that that company creates. Because, you know, you just don't have someone sitting on a production line going, I make a plug, and there's one plug, and there's another plug, and there's another plug. You need someone in there to purchase. You need someone to purchase the products, to make that plug a reality. You need someone to pay the accounts. You need someone to pay your wages. You need to pay light and heat. These are all the jobs that are going on right now. So when you see things that whatever is in your room right now that you're looking at, a lot of people came together voluntarily seeking a profit to come together to make their little part of that jigsaw so you see the finished product. 
That's what the economy is. Now, please tell me how, and I don't want to get into the debate right now, I want to just talk to you about the economics of whether shutting down the government is a good, or the, the country is a good thing or a bad thing. The fact is it's been shut down. How can you save us? What policy can you do that says, you know what, we're going to save the economy? How? There are shops closed. You can't buy a PC at the minute. Apple has a lot of their stores closed. Dell, I'm sure, has a lot of their shops closed. I work around retail. I'm in shopping malls all the time. Everything is shut bar groceries and pharmacies. How can you save that? What number do you have to do to say, you know what, this is going to be possible? This is going to be saved. This is the plan to save it. What is the solution? Is the solution a bailout? Is the solution just printing loads of money and giving it to people? Is that the solution? Is that going to save the economy? Because if you think it is, just let me ask you a question. At any point in time, there are people who are willing to buy stuff. They need stuff. Let me give you a simple example. One of the things I need to start saving for is I need a new iPad. My iPad is, I'm going to say six or seven years old now. It's the first iPad Air, ever how long that is. Maybe it's five years. It's getting really slow. It's getting to the point where, you know, the battery doesn't last long because, you know, you can only charge it. And it gets to a point where my battery goes down in percent. You know the way it does on Apple products and every product, you know, 199, 98, 97, 96. When my battery gets to about 50, I look at it, it says 50. Within about 20 minutes, it's down to 10. It's down to 15. And then it just dies. I need to save for a new iPad. This is what happens with products. Now, how do I I need to buy those products? If I can't buy it, what bailout is going to help me? It's not like I'm going to, well, I, I, I want an iPad, but I'm going to go buy a Samsung. They're closed as well. How is that going to help? What bailout is going to help that? The answer is free markets. The answer is we need to find a way and have a discussion about COVID-19, about, hey, should we shut down the government? If so, for how long? But the understanding is, yes. And for those people who think I hate Donald Trump and dislike Donald Trump and I'm, I'm a never-Trumper, I'm not. He is absolutely right when he says you need to get the economy back up and running. He's absolutely right when he says, you know what, what if the cure is worse than disease? The sad thing is, the cures that are being talked about in Congress right now will kill you. And we're going to talk about the bailout in a second. But here's the problem. The truth of the matter is, there is no agenda for truth in your media right now. Because everyone wants to be an expert. No one wants to be that person that says, you know what? I don't know what the answer is. I really do not know what the answer is. The truth of what's going on in your country right now, and around the world, is this is an unprecedented event. There is no research that you can look and kind of go, well, what happened when that country shut down its borders? What happened when that country just shut off its economy and all the countries around the world? We don't know. But what we can do is, and we're going to talk about this now in a second with the bailout is, I can tell you a long list of countries that are failed because they borrow too much. We need to start having honest conversations without the spectacles of, hey, is this framed in a pro-Donald Trump or an anti-Donald Trump? Because not everything revolves around your president. I know this was a shocker to my friends on the left when I said, you know what, not everything in the world revolves around Barack Obama. It is possible to have a conversation without mentioning the name Barack Obama. 
I say the same to my friends on the right now. It is possible to have a conversation without mentioning Donald Trump. Without having some hidden agenda. Oh, are you out to get Donald Trump? Are you being critical? No, I'm having a principled conversation. Which people like me have a long track record of. How do we save your country? How do we save us? Economically, this bailout? If you have an answer of how you would save your economy, please let me know. But when you understand the basics of what we just talked about, and it's the different for each person in each different room, the understanding of those jobs are no longer available right now. Hopefully they come back. How do you save us? How do you stop us? Welcome to every new listener. I ask you to subscribe, share this show with your family and your friends. We release a new show every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. We're on all major platforms. Look for Freedom's Disciple. Um, subscribe, share us. Also, if you listen on Apple and iTunes, please leave us a rating and review. Sorry, no rating because that's gone, but leave us a review. It helps the algorithm find new listeners for us. I want to talk to you about what's going on about your country right now and about the bailouts. And what I want to do is... I want to break down economics for you in the simplest way possible. Because one of the things that I think a lot of people are guilty of, and I don't, I'm not judging you when I say this. I'm just, this is just my experience when I talk to people about economics, especially about the national debt of America, is when I start saying, hey, your debt is crazy. It's $23 trillion. Maybe now would be a good time to, I don't know, stop spending money. People kind of go, I think people have just disassociated so much with, oh, a trillion. What's a trillion? Like, I'll be honest, I don't know many people who know how many zeros is in a trillion. It's 12. So, in case you want to know how bad things are right now in your country, your government is 23 trillion in debt, which is 2, 3, and 12 zeros. That's a lot of zeros. But I think a lot of people kind of go, they just can't equate 23 trillion. Or even one trillion, like the amount of people who are going to earn, you know, a, a million dollars in their lifetime, in their collective lifetime between, hey, I started work at, you know, 12 or 13 or whatever age you were. I know we live in a different generation. I had my first job when I was nine because I wanted a pair of Converse runners to play basketball. Nine. And I'll probably work till um, I die. But like, you know, if you take whatever age you work at, 14, 15, 16, and you work through till 65 or 70, whatever retirement age is, if you're going to earn a million dollars in that period of time, you're lucky. There's a million, there's a billion, there's a trillion. But I want to break the economics down to you and explain to you why this bailout is such a bad idea. But what I want to do is I don't want to talk to, to you in the terms of your government. I want to make this about you as an individual. And I just want you to ask yourself, would I be able to do this as an individual? Would I be able to live this way? Would the bank deal with me living this lifestyle? Or would the bank eventually go, hey, buddy, sit down, we need to talk. And this is not going to be a nice conversation. Because there is this myth out there that says, you know what, economics is different. The economics for a poor person is different compared to the economics to a rich person. No, it's not. It's the laws of supply and demand and how much money you have in the bank. The numbers change. The purchasing power changes, but the laws of economics don't change. There's also this myth that says, well, the laws of what, what governments can do is different to what people can do. 
No, the laws of economics don't change. They might stretch for people individuals in the terms of what they can get away with. Rich people can get away with more than poorer people because they have, you know, income and assets. Same way countries like America can get away with more than, let's say, I don't know, a country in the Middle East. Why? Because America is a wealth of big, you know, big, wealthy, wealthy people. And it has the ability to tax people at any time at once compared to the Middle East. Some smaller countries don't have that ability. So the laws are the same. It's just the ability does is different. So what I want to do is I want to talk to you about actual numbers. And I want you to think about the world that you live in right now. As an individual, you earn just over $34,000 a year. So you're probably about what? Medium wage? You earn $34,000 a year. Out of that, you got to pay your bills. You know, you got to pay your rent. You got to pay your light. You got to pay your heat. You might have a car payment to make. You might be putting a bit aside, you know, for a rainy day, or you might be, you know, the college, the, the kids' college fund. You know, you got to, you know, maybe you're single. Maybe you're like me and, hey, you know, I got to bring the ladies out. You know, I got to find a lady to date. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You got to make a good impression. You got to buy a new shirt, you know, make sure you, you look all dapper and, you know, all nice. You got to maybe buy a fancy bottle of aftershave so you smell all nice. You know, you want to make a good impression. Then you got to bring her to dinner. You got to wine and dine. You got to win her heart. How am I still single? I know all this stuff. I make it sound so suave as well. Don't I? I make it sound so cool. But you got to, you know, do your budget. Everyone does have to do their budget. Changes from person to person. But you have a budget. But sadly, budgets are not really your strong point. Because while you earn $34,000 a year, your outgoings for this year are $47,000. You basically are spending $13,000 more than you take in. Now, first off, in one year, does that sound like, hey, you could do that? On an off chance, do you think that could happen? Do you think many people are just going, hey, oh, you've, you've lived it on your means. Here's 13 grand. Here's a credit card. You might get a certain amount, but at some point they're going to cut you off, right? Well, you see, the problem is you should have been cut off a long time ago. Because your debt right now, your debt isn't 13000 You just didn't spend overspend your money this year. You overspent us by 13000 in 2020. However, your debt prior for your lifetime is $236,000. And it's growing each and every year rather rapidly. Let me give you a history of your personal debt as an individual. Back, back, if we got into that DeLorean baby, we dialed that baby up to 88 miles an hour and we went. I want to go all the way back to when I wasn't even, a, you know what? It was just that the dinosaurs were around at this time. It was the year 2000. Remember that year 2000? Jeez, do you actually feel old right now? 20 years ago, George Bush versus Al Gore. That seems so long ago. To all the kids listen, yes, that, those are fun times. And you think things were bad now? We had so much fun debating the Supreme Court with George Bush and Al Gore. It was such a fun time and oh, selected, not elected and all that stuff. Yeah, you missed, You need to go read some history. It was fun times. But back in 2000, your debt was $56,000. You owed $56,000. But you didn't just go, hey, I owe 56. I need to start paying it back. No, you just kept spending. You kept spending more than you lived, than you earned. In 2004, your debt was now $73,000. In 2008, it skyrocketed to 100 k In 2012, it went up to 160000 as an individual. In 2016, it went up to 195000 
And today it's $236,000. Now, do you think there is any individual in this world who lives on $34,000 who could get away with that? Is there any bank out there that's going to, at some point, going to go, hey, stop spending money? This is your life. But now here's where I want to talk to you about the bailouts, because you have a debt of $236,000 as an individual. And you've been laid off by coronavirus. Your government has shut down. Everything has happened. Everything is in, you know, crisis. And you sit down at the family table, or maybe it's just yourself because you're still single, and you're going to go, huh, I earned 34,000, you know, euros or dollars. And it's probably going to go down this year, but, you know, I still earn it, and I'm still going to spend 47, and it'll probably go up. But here's, I've got this great idea. Because of coronavirus, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go borrow another $60,000. Is there anyone who would say yes to that? Is there anyone who, who's listening to these numbers as an individual kind of go, geez, this makes a lot of sense. I could, I would do that. Yeah. Yeah, I'd absolutely. I think borrowing 60 grand when you're about to potentially be laid off is a wonderful idea, which will bring your debt to 296,000 as an individual. Is there anyone that makes any sense to? That is what your country is talking about right now. And in case you're wondering where I got those numbers from, I just didn't pick them out of the sky. I just took a load of zeros off them to make it about you, not your country. The actual numbers are, your government earns $3.4 trillion a year. And when I say earned, I'm only using that as a word. I don't really mean it. What I actually mean is, your government steals $3.4 trillion from its people each and every year. And it spends $4.7 trillion this year, which means your yearly arrears as a country is going to be 1.3 trillion. I just took a load of zeros off. Your national debt is 23.6 trillion dollars. And you're talking about raising it by 6 trillion through 2 trillion in the Congress and through 4 trillion through the Federal Reserve. I don't know what to say to you if you don't understand why this is economic suicide. This is economic suicide, and it will kill your nation. That is not me being all all dramatic, or me trying to fear-monger you. That's me just stating a fact. But what really upsets me is, I discussed this with people online. And the amount of people, I was expecting, if you had said to me two weeks ago, Hey, America's going to talk about bailing out, you know, doing a bailout of $6 trillion. How many people, and I'm not talking about Republicans or Democrats, I'm just going to say, how many Americans will go, you know, I can understand that. I would have said, I don't think there's a Democrat alive who would understand that. I've seen some, over the years, I've some seen crazy plans from people like Bernie Sanders. I've seen some crazy, I've seen outrageous numbers. That I've seen some plans that would add 10 trillion to the debt over 10 years. I've seen people go, oh, that's crazy. Oh, that's Bernie Sanders for you. That's socialism. But we're never going to be that way. But yet, in a couple of month period, you want to add $6 trillion. I would have said not a chance. The amount of people that I engaged with online, both, you know, through a, uh, a thread and also through messages, you're going, I think you're dead wrong on this, John. I think, you know, look, something had to be done. $6 trillion had to be done? Really? There is no even discussion about this. I bring you back to that individual table where that person earns $34,000 and is spending $47,000. Let's say there's an argument for borrowing that 60000 
Is there really an understanding that, hey, maybe we need to cut back somewhere? Maybe about having that as a conversation. Hey, we need to sit down and look at our expenses. Do we really need to spend this much money? Do we really need to? Can we cut back somewhere? Can we cut back, you know, foreign aid? Can we cut back on different programs? Can we cut off all these funding for studies of how what a frog has to do to have the best sex in its life? How about we, you know, do have those, cut those fundings? No. Do we really need a Department of Education right now? Do we really need a federal government? You know, all these different agencies and bureaus like the EPA, the Department of Energy. Hey, can we cut back their budgets? No, we can't say it. Oh, no. All of a sudden, everyone who was opposed to this is like Nancy Pelosi. Oh, no, we can't make any more cuts. The cupboard is bare. You're spending $4.7 trillion and the cupboard is bare? Really? Now, I know some people, because this is the amazing thing. What's funny is the arguments always stay the same, regardless of what side uses it. I've been called this week for talking about things for, oh, you're so heartless towards the poor. Oh my God, you're so, I never knew you had such, you know, you call yourself a Christian. I, I never not knew you were so uncompassionate or so lacking of understanding. Really? Let me just be very blunt with you about this. There are a few people in this world who you need to talk about unemployment to. There are a few people you do need to talk about poverty to. I ain't one of them. I'm not that far removed. I live a blessed lifestyle now. I live a blessed lifestyle and I earn under the medium income in Ireland, let alone what the medium income is in America. I live a blessed life because I have a full-time job. But there was a period in my life not that long ago where for seven long years I worked as a contractor where I'd have 30 hours one week and none the next. I did not have full-time work. But here's the thing. When did sacrifice become such a bad, dirty word to my friends on the rice? When I was in those troubles, when I had no full-time job, I had debt. Do you know what happened? I made sacrifices. The amount of people this week who said to me, oh, well, they have a car payment. What, do you want them to deny them a car? That's a basic human right nearly. Well, yeah, sorry. Sometimes you've got to make tough decisions. I haven't had up my own car since 2011. I'm lucky now that I am working for a company that gives me a company van. It's nothing fancy, but it's a company van. I haven't had my own car since 2011. I haven't had my own phone in years. Probably 2011 as well. Maybe 2012, because I think I kept that slightly longer, because I had a bill to pay. I haven't had a phone. There were times I had my main meal for the day was beans on toast. I know about sacrifice. It sucks. But this understanding that we just keep spending money, just keep spending money, just keep spending money, we make no sacrifice, needs to stop. It's time for Americans to understand being responsible is not a dirty word. It is a historical word, which up until about 20 years ago, everyone did. Let me just ask you a couple of last questions to finish up with. We shared a stat on this show a couple of weeks ago when we talked about self-responsibility, when I was warning you about what was coming. The understanding that there are so few Americans now who cannot fund an unexpected bill of $500. Think about the amount of people who don't have 500 in the bank. But now think about how many people have a fancy new iPhone, or a fancy flat screen TV, or a fancy eating out and fancy restaurants all the time. You can't understand... Hey, you know, sometimes you got to make sacrifices. Sometimes you got to put money away for a rainy day. But also, let me finish up with this point. 
Because let me bring it back to that individual who earns 34,000. I get there's people in pain. I don't want anyone going through those economic pains and hardships. But how is it all of a sudden principled to go, you know what? We're in trouble right now as individuals. I need money because of this coronavirus. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the bank and get a credit card in my unborn children's name and say, you know what? I need 60 grand, but I'm not paying it back. My kid is. My grandkid is. My great-grandkid is. Is that really patriotic? Would you thank you if you were that kid or grandkid? And then you wonder why there's so much resentment from young people to older people. Some of it is wrong. Some of it is ignorant. And some of it is justified. We need to start having these conversations. We need to start breaking these issues down so that you can break them down and share them with your family and friends. Because if this bill passes and it starts spending this much money, your economy is not going to be saved and you are going to have economic suicide. I get that there is nowhere to look and say, hey, you know what? The government is shut down. The country is shut down. What's going to happen? I don't know. There are no historical examples. But there are countless historical examples of people spending large amounts of money they don't have as a country and going bankrupt. You used to mock some of them. Remember mocking Cuba? Mocking Venezuela? Remember the bread lines? Well, if you're really mocking them and you fear that, you need to relook at this bill, start talking about basic economic sense and going, this is a bad, bad bill. And this will bankrupt us and potentially give our kids and grandkids no opportunity to live free, to live the American dream. I finish this show the way we always do, by saluting everyone who is serving and risking their lives 24-7. We salute your police, your firefighters, your vets who serve 24-7, and especially the doctors and nurses who are in the front lines, who are doing an amazing job, who are bringing comfort and and medicine and, and care to those who badly need it right now. And lastly, I salute you, the great American people. Never, ever forget, America is great because Americans are good. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week. God bless. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you.